I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land upon which this recording takes place, the Wadandi and Bibbulmun people of Wudichup in the southwest Bujara region in Noongabudja, also known as Margaret River. I acknowledge their continuing connection to the land, waters and community. I pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Hey there, welcome back to the Men's Sex and Pleasure podcast. This is episode number 105. I'm your host, Cam Fraser. We're talking all things masculinity, sexuality, men's bodies, and men's experiences of pleasure. And today, I have the pleasure of chatting with a good friend of mine. His name is Nick Perry. Nick is a holistic lifestyle coach, corrective exercise specialist, and men's work facilitator who is passionate and driven by authentic relating and inspired living. Nick's education in holistic lifestyle coaching draws from personal mentoring and learning from some of the world's leading healers, facilitators, and physical therapists. For the last decade, he has immersed himself in study and experimentation, acquiring qualifications across a broad range of modalities. Over the last few years, his reach in the world has spread far as he shares his knowledge, experience, and personal story through podcasts, workshops, and teachings in his mentorship program. Known for his deep presence, relatability, and down-to-earth nature, Nick's goal when working with clients is to leave them feeling empowered and aligned in themselves, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And I believe Nick has a a mentoring program that is really a powerful container of uh, transformation and growth for, I believe it's open to everyone. I don't think it's just exclusive for men. So if you want to check out Nick and his work and that particular program, you can head to his Instagram, which is Rhythm Health, or you can head to his website, which is rhythmhealth.com.au. In this episode, Nick and I talk about... Uh, fatherhood. We're both are very new fathers, um, at least at the time of the podcast. Uh, we um, had both only been fathers for a couple of months. Uh, we also talk about this story that comes up for both of us and something that we both notice in a lot of the men that we work with, which is I'm not enough or I'm not good enough or I'm not man enough. And we talk about how that self-worth story um, impacts not only our sex lives, but also our connection to our uh children and our partners um, and how to work through that. We also talk about Nick's personal journey with regards to uh, his his own growth and personal development and transformation. Like how did he learn how to listen to his body? How did he learn how to um, use his discernment? How did he learn how to support other men? And, and we finally end up on role models as well and what role models were for us and, and um, what role models um, are like for um for other men and, and maybe even potentially being a role model ourselves. So it's a really lovely conversation, uh, very vulnerable, very raw. And it was just, yeah, good to connect with Nick in this way. And I'm so glad that we could do this. So enjoy listening. When a boy is between the ages of 13 and 16, the testes begin to produce sperm cells. The old contraceptive, uh, the condom, it's uh, wrapped in rather a sort of crinkly paper. John, let's be straightforward about this. I'm not here to make a moral judgment, but you and I know that it was contracted through sexual intercourse with an infected person. The way that I start, dude, is with an invitation. So I'd love to invite you to share a little bit about who you are, a little bit about the work that you do, and also what you're really passionate as well, uh, brother. I'm, I'm really curious about your passion. So that's my invitation, man. I'd love for you to share. Mm, thank you, man. Well, stoked to be here. Long time coming. And, <laughs> yeah, um, I know, I know. Well, we've been busy, man. Totally, totally. So, yeah, like, it's that golden question. Who am I and what, have, what, what am I passionate about? What do I do? Well, I'm a 33-year-old man in the world, a 33-year-old white male in the world currently. Um, recently exploring what it is to be a father, a father to a, to a little boy called Soul. So that is the most dominant and elating theme in my life right now and, and my, my greatest vehicle of growth and learning and something, you know, to tack on 
what am I passionate about? I almost froze when you said that. And, and if I reflect on what am I surrounding myself with and, and delving into and what am I genuinely wanting to hear more of, it's this parent gig. Like it's this understanding what, what that role actually entails and how to express it in a way that has a very you know, loving effect, a very nurturing outcome, uh, yeah, and, and everything that comes with that. So in no way do I claim to be an expert. I claim to be a very curious and organic student of what that is. So, you know, yeah, that I've just finished an eight-week parenting course and just continue to see, see very interesting links to some of my other passions, which is, you know, spirituality uh, and psychology. Really, it's like it's a part of me that's almost judging that. It's like it's boring, but man, is it? Once you dive in, it is not boring. It is so so inspiring and empowering to understand the mechanics, right? Like the, the mechanics of biology and the mechanics of the mind, and then that spiritual piece that transcends all of that and invites the consideration of pure potential what does that mean and if I came from a new mind what would I plug into and yeah so you know I guess at the core of me would be you know over the last couple of years definitely psychology and coaching um, would be my main passions but parenthood man parenthood's really you know coming up the inside and and, and looking looking to take over and and yeah, that's that's just the part of me. And like I've built a life around those passions. So I work as a holistic lifestyle coach and, and the style that I work with people is very much a blend of therapy and coaching. That's in its simplest form basically means bringing issues from the past into completion so that energy can be integrated and mobilized and then invested into that future vision and that dream and legacy that person holds when they do connect to to their potential and to their higher self and to their greater dream so i like to work with you know both of those modalities and both of those approaches and and really believe it can't just be one it can't just be the therapy without the okay establishing the direction, you know, moving forward and that healing plays out and vice versa. It's like you can only self-sabotage that dream until that work is addressed, you know, until that unresolved piece is acknowledged and accepted and integrated. And I like to do that with men. I love to support men where I'm at these days. I do work with women still very much so, but my, my main clientele Amen. And I love over the last five years being involved in men's work, really learning that there are men ha do have unique challenges and something, some of those challenges really only a man can support another man in. And that's something that's been really enlightening to understand and to open myself up to and certainly something I, I'm inspired to pay forward and keep contributing to the collective in that way and sharpening my sword as I go. Do you mind sharing what some of those things are, what some of those unique challenges are that, that, that men face that only other men can support them in? Yeah. So off the top of my head, in a nutshell, shame, right? this idea of shame and so much when it comes to supporting someone, all it really is is holding up the mirror. And for me, a lot of most of my mentors still are women and that's awesome and that is so important to me and it's been essential in my development. But there were some, there were some parts of me that that mirror wasn't being held up because that 
relatability wasn't there. Like that perspective couldn't be offered. And for me, that was very much around the parts of myself that I held in deep shame. And, you know, shame keeps me on the surface. Shame keeps me hidden. Shame keeps me playing out an inauthentic story, basically. So being around men that understood that and had passed through that shame of their own, you're able to see it like, bang, so easily. Like you're telling yourself a story. You're telling yourself you're being authentic. But we see through that story. And I'm like, am I? What do you mean? And then there are, it's just like that one question gets asked and it's like, oh, my God, I just got in touch with it just now. And it feels like a knife in my stomach. And then the, 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 the real gift came, comes through, you know, has come through for me time and time again of like that, oh, I'm trying to find the right word, that, that challenge, that loving challenge, which is now fucking feel that. Now fucking feel that, that knife. Feel that knife that you have numbed out from, that you have hidden, denied, repressed, bypassed, changed who you are and, and created a whole life around not going there. Fucking go there. And I got that from men and I got that from men's work and going there and going right into that and being held in all of the ugliness that came in getting in touch with that has been deeply healing, deeply life-changing. So that's one example of how the brotherhood was able to support me. It was like, we love your shame. We love you in your shame. We love that part of you that you feel ashamed about and we are here to challenge you and support all the way through with that. And so that's one thing. And, and then... It's like, okay, what do I feel ashamed about? And it's like, shit, like most things actually, most things that are authentically me and then that overflows and this may be relevant to this conversation thing, cock shame and sexual shame and blah. And it's like, yeah, my, my work around like sexual shame and, and cock shame and, and, and it didn't initiate in men's work circles but it really it really amplified in those circles. So I, I started doing that work on myself in more of a co-gender space, um, just in a more sacred sexuality community, but was also gifted the opportunity to go there in, the, in a different way inside the men's work arena. And, yeah, it's like talk all day about shame, man. Talk about it all day about my own shame and my journey uh, my integration journey. How has your relationship with shame, I mean, if it has, uh, shifted now that you've become a father? It, it, just, it just carries less power on me. There's, there's an incentive to catch it. There's a far bigger incentive to catch it because is considering the impact shame has on the energetic level and to understand that that creates a broadcast and that right now, you know, as a father in the presence of my son, he doesn't have that, like that neocortex development. So really all he's learning from me, off me right now is comes through my energetic broadcast. So I have the background in feeling and knowing when that shame strikes or when it surfaces. right? I know the contraction. I know the physiological signal that shame is in the driver's seat. Because there's this, there's this beautiful mirror in front of me, this little boy, I can cut through that story and just go, it's not worth it. Like it's not worth feeding this in life force. It's not worth 
smile, putting a smile on top of this twist in my stomach right now. It's like I'm just going to fucking let it go, but really let it go. <sighs> and, and cut the shit, you know. If it's a story that keeps looping and looping around, there needs to be a, I do need to get the sword out. I, need, I do need to develop my ability to say enough and cut it and drop it and, and step, step back into my center and, and step forward into my duties. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that, man. And, and that echoes my own experience. I, I think I shared with Tully on his podcast the other day that like um, if something comes up for me uh, in my role as a father, like I've got to go deal with that like pretty much immediately. Like it has to be, and and you, typically it's on the fly as well because I'm still looking after Fergus. So I've got to be like, okay, wh- what can I do right here, right now to kind of like diffuse or let go of that experience of shame or anger or frustration, whatever it is, so that I can still continue to show up present for my, my little son. And then supplement that with maybe going back to it a little bit later, maybe because it wasn't fully processed, right? Because I just kind of like, I didn't didn't necessarily suppress it. I kind of, you know, I said to him, my strategy is I've got a punching bag in the backyard. So I'll just go and smash the punching bag for like two minutes straight, just like burn out all of my anger on the punching bag, right? Just kind of let it out of the body and then come back and be like, okay, cool, I'm good to go. Um, but then when he's been put to bed or when he's, you know, out with his mum, then I'll sit and be like, okay, cool. What what is there to revisit? What is there that, that kind of came up? What can I do to process that through the body as opposed to just simply discharging it in that moment? Um, because like logistically, there's no time for me to sit and do the processing. If I've got my little dude in front of me, um, he needs attention and, and affection. And, um, and so like I, I go out and do something real quick then I come back to him. Uh, and that's been a strategy that I've, I've implemented. It's not a, like I was saying this to tell, it's not a, necessarily a very good long-term strategy to kind of rely on the discharging but um but it's definitely working for me now and i I think once fergus becomes a little more independent i want to model to him like okay how do we process like what an emotion's coming up rather than rather than it being like this quick release what can i do with him to go hey here's how we here's how we work through emotions here's how we kind of like experience something and whether it's you know a creative outlet that he has I, I saw this really beautiful um parent um like video of um this boy young boy had had a big day at school and instead of coming home and like beating on his toys or throwing things around they've hooked up a big um kind of like an uh, aerial yoga ribbon like one of those big kind of oh, hammocks yeah, yeah, in the middle of this room yeah, yeah big silk yeah, ribbon. Cool. And, this, and this little boy was just like literally swinging himself off this in the middle of this room and like pushing himself back and forward and, and just like it was just this really like lovely experience of him just kind of like discharging energy and working through you know somatically this emotion that he had from this big day at school um in like a pretty creative way in a really beautiful kind of somatic way and i i just kind of reflect on that as fergus grows up i kind of see him holding on to things and see him like expressing things and it's like oh you you've got a full spectrum of emotions you know and and it's like okay well how are we navigating that together and not just kind of suppressing it or dampening it and and trying to make him fit what emotion i want him to fit in that moment it's like okay you're upset about something i'm not 100 sure what it is but i'll i'll be there with you and that, that upsetness and what you need to do to process that um and trying to start that at an early age so that you know he has a whole bunch of different tools uh like me to 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 go through that um emotional expression process um yeah that's that's man that's like very cool insight and i so desiring to ask you something if i may <laughs> yeah go for it um because you you talked you know you mentioned the really the, you know the golden piece in that which is the things going on for me and there's this charge it's so strong i'm no longer present you know to my baby and and their weather system right the energy that's continually moving and transmutating and, and that, you know reacting and you know, all of that. And that process is beautiful. Like the outer discharge, but also then the inner inquiry. Is there something, is there a continuity in what is 
being triggered in you? Like what are you seeing when you do that inner inquiry? What's, what's the thing? Not necessarily what triggers you, but what is being triggered? Yeah, the, the, um, the story that I always go back to, the thing that kind of arises in me, which makes me feel angry or frustrated or whatever, is um, that I'm not good enough that I'm not a good enough parent, that I'm not a good enough partner, that I'm not a good enough man. It's 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 a self-worth issue, right? And it's it's me experiencing the shame of not being a man or not being a real man because I'm not showing up for my partner or, or you know, whether that's true or not, it's my perception of myself, right? And it's my self-doubt and it's my self-worth issue. And that's the story that gets triggered every time. Um, I can kind of, I can, on surface level, it's like, oh, it's this thing when this particular behavior happened or when this particular situation happened. But when I bore down on all of those situations, the common root of those is, oh, it's a self-worth. It's 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 me feeling not enough or it's me feeling you know like I'm lacking in some some sort of way. And it's not coming from external. It's not, not me feeling guilty about anything. It's me feeling ashamed about myself. And that shame comes from stories of my childhood, you know, stories of what it means to be a man in society or all this other crap, right? This, this, um, outside stuff that I've kind of internalized. Um, so it's not that I've done anything wrong, uh, cause I know I haven't done anything wrong. So I don't, I've got nothing to feel guilty about. Um, it's me just kind of having internalized all this shit, right. Um, over the course of my 28 years on this planet and, um, and, that story being triggered. So, and that's been something that I experienced in other areas of my life as well. So I know it is that story. I experienced it in work, not being qualified enough, not like, who am I to talk about, you know, this stuff online and to, to call myself a, you know, an expert or to call myself an authority in this particular, like, you know, there's self-doubt there, there's self-doubt in my, you know, role as a son. Am I a good enough son to my parents? Do I, you know, all this sort of stuff. So it's, it's a commonality across my, life and it, i've i've found like the like i've in some areas i've found the gold in it it's really helped me pursue education it's really helped me pursue like things that i like things that i value which is knowledge and awareness and insight into things um so that like self doubt of not being enough has really informed my decision to go out and learn more right and to become knowledgeable in the areas that i'm knowledgeable in S same thing with parenting right um really tapping into aware parenting and wanting to learn and wanting to read and wanting to inquire um so i've, I've in some areas have really shifted it into being a motivating factor as opposed to being something that holds me back and inhibits me um but that's the story brother and um yeah <laughs> thank you thank <laughs> that's you. Right, man. thanks um, for asking so cool yeah hey you're speaking for me too, man. You know, when, when I, I, when I feel the contraction and I, you know, soul gives me that immediate feedback, Yeah. you know, he's like, Hey, like, where are you? Where are you? And I'm like, for me, what I've noticed is like, it, it's this, let's call it a mental behavior of comparison, which then activates this worry in me. And, you know, at the core of that is, yeah, is that, am I good enough? And, you know, it, are they better than me? And, you know, like just this habit of comparing through the, through the lens of self-judgment. So I love what you shared, bro. And, and like I said, you, you were speaking for me in many ways and can show up in parenting. But the piece around am I a good enough son, I'm like, damn, like that's been super alive for me lately. Um Am I an accepting enough son? This and that. Um, and also, of course, work for me too is I just really want to, really <laughs> want to be good at it. Yeah. <laughs> really yeah. want to help people. And yeah. yeah, that story creeps in for me too in, in that environment. So, yeah, bros, very cool. Very yeah. cool. Thanks, man. And I think that's like pretty universal. Hey, like I, I, and you know, I work exclusively with men as well. So, it's definitely a story that I notice in men, whether they've identified it or not. Like there's a anxiety they have around sex, for example, right? And um, or even like divorcing it from from anything to do with other people, even like around masturbation. Like a lot of guys that I work with, I, I talk to them about the way that they interact with themselves and the way that they kind of self pleasure. And a lot of guys, there's this kind of fear that if they do anything other than just kind of masturbating in a particular way, that they've like. And 
this is so interesting to me because I don't know. This is just a, a big tangent, so forgive me. It's like, who who teaches us how to masturbate? Like, where do we like all all guys that I've worked with all masturbate in a very very similar way? How did we what what how did we learn that? Where did we where does that come from? It's, it's just like I like to think of like this the this innate way that we've kind of like you know throughout evolutionary history kind of collectively taught ourselves how to masturbate and we just kind of tap into that at a certain age right it's just like this very animalistic way of of masturbating because i i kind of you know i did a little reel on my social media about this of of the way like monkeys masturbate it's very similar to the way like a lot of dudes masturbate it's just like ripping the head off it just friction in the head yeah just furiously going for it um so it's just like really animalistic so like because no one's teaching us how to masturbate right we're not watching videos and tutorials I mean, I did because I was interested in that and that's kind of why I do the work that I do today. Um, but like which, like a lot of guys just tap into that like very similar way of masturbating. Um, and so like because of that, they've conditioned themselves to think, okay, this is the only experience of pleasure that I can have. And there's a lot of shame that comes up from doing anything other than that, right? They think, oh, if I do this, there's something wrong with me. Um, I'm not um, like I'm not a, I'm not a real man. If I, if I explore my nipples or explore, explore my ass, for example, or, you know, explore my voice, a lot of guys don't make any noise when they're masturbating. Right. So there's a lot of shame, um, sexual shame, as you were kind of saying before, um, because like the, the story is like, I'm not a man or I'm, this is not what men do. So I shouldn't do this. I'm, I'm going to be less of a man or I'm going to be less of a, you know, it's, it's usually less of a man. That's the language that that's used. If I do this, uh, this other type of stimulation, this other type of not normal or weird type of stimulation when I'm masturbating. So it's a very common story that I see pop up in, yes, life in general, but also definitely in, in sex. Passively, I, I love the self-pleasure piece in particular that, that you've brought in there. And, you know, I am one of those men who... You know, until my third turn, third, I was 30 years old when 29 or 30, something like that, not, not even that long ago, like four years ago, Matt um, started to consider another way. And then, and that was only because I was being taught, like you say, he's teaching it. And then I was in a, you know, I was in a, uh, a course, an initiation, um, India actually. And, A rip, like a, a practice, I guess I'd call it, where we were reintroducing central touch into our lives, into ourselves. And it's a wonderful meditation. And I do, I do, you know, recommend it to certain people that I work with because it was a nice ease in for me where, in, you know, in short, you get an inanimate object, a pen, a leaf, a stick. I think I had a leaf. And First of all, you just become deeply present with that. So that's a nice meditation in itself. And it's like, oh, wow, oh, I can see the capillaries of that leaf and this and that. And then it's like, and then you sort of just notice the textures and you touch it very objectively. And it's like, okay, I'm tapped into this object. Now I'm going to touch it sensually. Like how would I touch this object sensually if, you know, I were to go all the way through with this and so guess I'd stroke it this way and then that. it's like kind of like breaking through and, and then that sensual energy starts to move the hand rather than the mind moving the hand it's like ah okay oh now I'm breathing again fuck I just held my breath for half an hour okay like something's happening like I'm gonna continue to go through with this and then that hand the cue or the the, the next step of the practice is to okay take that hand and do the same to your own forearm. And it's like, oh, my God, I've never touched myself like this, not since I was you know, a little baby, just, you know, playing with my own hands. And it's like, oh, my God, all of my conditioning is being ripped up right now and all of those stories and, and this is the opportunity to, to have, a, have a mini breakthrough. Do I, do I want to drop the shame and open myself up to what's possible in the way of pleasure and self-love and self-pleasuring. 
Hey there, thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope you're enjoying this episode. I just wanted to chime in here with a plug for my online men's course. It's called Outperform a Porn Star. It goes for six weeks and it's all about experiencing multiple orgasms, overcoming any uh, sexual dysfunctions, reframing your whole performance mindset around sex to be more pleasure-oriented, We talk about communicating with your partner, being a sexual leader, and all of this amazing stuff. So if you're interested in learning how to outperform a porn star, head to my website, www.cam-fraser.com. Let's get back to this episode. Yeah, I love that. And um, I'm familiar with the wake up your hands exercise from Betty Martin, um, which is similar, very, sounds pretty similar to that. Um, And the, the, um, the beauty in it, yeah, for me is is pleasure. Like it's like, okay, what feels good, right? And and a lot of us, I, I say us here speaking on you know on behalf of men, a lot of us have uh, anxiety and inhibition around experiencing pleasure firsthand, right? And what I mean by that is like a lot of us are a lot of us outsource our pleasure, right, to a screen or to our partner um, and uh, and we feel, um, and I say we again, because sp- uh, this is for me and also for a lot of guys that I've worked with, like the like pleasure for us is quite limited. And so we've got to like look somewhere else for it. We've got to externalize it and kind of live vicariously. Um, Betty Martin calls this vicarious pleasure. It's like we get pleasure from an external source by, by looking at it, by kind of living through that, right? We see our partner's, writhing body or her expression or her moaning or we see the the pornography on screen or we see a hot person that we find attractive and so we get pleasure from seeing that as opposed to direct pleasure which is exactly what you're talking about is the pleasure from touching ourselves or from being touched by another person a lot of guys have resistance to getting a sensual massage from their partner right because they're they're not used to that direct experience of pleasure of it being it coming through their skin, right? Of it coming through their sense of touch. Um, they'd rather do something to their partner, right? They'd rather be the doer and see the pleasure in their partner and get pleasure that way, as opposed to it being kind of directed on them. A lot of guys have, they feel uncomfortable. They feel awkward when they're the center of attention, I suppose, when they're the, the one experiencing the direct pleasure. Um, again, because there's shame, anxiety, insecurity around pleasure, around like, what if I, what if I really surrender and let go to pleasure? It's seen as this like very feminine thing, right? And I see some, I see some men, men's coaches, like your Elliot Hulse and Ryan Mickler type of guys, saying pleasure is um, pleasures for women. Real men don't need pleasure, right? It's like this very anti-pleasure masculinity mindset, uh, and so. And a lot of guys subscribe to that. They're like, yeah, pleasure's for the weak. Like pleasure is the antithesis of productivity and being a man and being strong. And um, it's like this really um, rigid way of thinking about masculinity precludes exploring pleasure. And so there's a lot of fear around it, a lot of resistance and hesitation to pleasure um, and and a lot of shame because of that, right? They think if they do start experiencing pleasure in that really intense way, that something's wrong with them, that they're less of a man because men aren't supposed to go and experience pleasure in that way um there's a lot of aversion to it so um so yeah that that central touch exercise man that that was a big game changer for me as well it's the reason why i went on this like you know diet i resonate with that so deeply bro love it i love what you brought in as well um it's it's really interesting and i think relevant you know here's you know you and i talking about this anyway speaking on behalf of ourselves but also men in general and part of the parts of men that do get pushed into the shadows. And I also have observed this demonizing of like pleasure as not masculine. And it is, to me, it's full of holes. It's a very misunderstood idea, a very misunderstood rhetoric. You said surrender earlier. So there is such resistance into surrendering to my pleasure. When the surrender happens, when, when, when that choice is made fully and, and we go all the way through with that, the explosion happens. 
whoa, fuck. Like that stepping out of the ego mind and, and the ego distortion. And it's like, oh, you take the biggest breath you've ever taken. And then it's like, wow, I'm connected. And to be connected, I had to let go of control. Fuck. Okay. And it's like, okay, if you haven't had that, that's not wrong. It doesn't make you bad. But this like demonizing of pleasure and, and the energy mobilization that happens when that authentic pleasure is expressed, that's getting mistaken with distraction as far as I'm concerned. When I see, when I hear these like, you know, pleasures for women only, and it's like, but what comes with that and what is described as pleasure is like, eating food and watching Netflix and and I'm like, that's not fucking pleasure. What do you mean? That's just taking you so far out of yourself that I'm, I don't see that as a completely embodied experience of pleasure. It's like, oh, I'm going to opt out of life for a bit. I, I just need to opt out because um, it's been a gnarly fucking week and, yeah, um. I'm turning off the switch upstairs and muzzing out and eating a fucking bowl of something and watching that fucking show that I like to watch. That's not pleasure in my understanding of true pleasure and that truly that 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 spiritual explosion that happens, that that bridging of you know heaven and earth that yeah, that seems to synthesize and play out. So I noticed that too, and I did just want it's like kind of wanted to speak into that for a while now it's it's a, an opinion that is coming from a um an unex an unexplored yeah from, from an unexplored viewpoint from the outside looking like have you have you actually gone all the way through with it though have you actually devoted yourself to this practice consistently and sat in your resistance, right, and honoured yourself and honoured that resistance and done what it takes to actually be the source of pleasure rather than remembering that time you fucked that person and it was awesome. Like, that's still not it. And um, I think that's masculine as fuck. I think that's, you know, brave as fuck. And it's also, you know, trusting that feminine part of yourself to hold you in love. And, And that is totally beautiful and, and totally empowering paramount in the, the, the growth journey in my opinion experience so i'm glad you brought that up and yeah i'm on my little piffle here speaking <laughs> to that but well um man i'm curious about like you know you said you did that central touch practice over in india um and when i think you said when you were in your late 20s maybe 30 yeah what yeah. what's so, um what prompted that man how did you get to that place of going and doing that particular exercise? What happened in your life? It sounds like there's something wrong with you the way I phrased that, but like what happened for you and why isn't it happening for, for more men? That's what, I'm, that's what I'm kind of getting at here. What, what was different about your experience in life to get you to that point that's maybe different to other guys? Yeah, well, that's an interesting question and um, I'll answer it in the, like, in the deeper sense. And, and basically by that time of my life, I'd started to have the ability to make decisions consciously, say yes to things and no to things, like consciously and intentionally. I've done enough of my own inner work to have that, you know, to have that skill of my body says yes or my body says no. So I got invited, right? It was when I been with my partner now you know the mother of my son and it was earlier in the relationship and she was assisting on a course or run by an organization called ISTA International School of Temple Arts and it was a level one initiation and it's like sacred sexual shamanic exploration and uh, she's like, hey, like she'd already signed up before we were together. And she's like, hey, I'm doing this thing in India 
and I didn't get much information at all. She's like, and it, it's this. I'm like, well, that sounds pretty fucking cool. Like, she's like, do you want to come? And I felt into my body and logistically it was just really not a good time, like for me and like money and, and all of that. And I was studying, of course, the time. But my body was like, yeah, like a very clear and strong say yes to that and then step into the mystery. And that's exactly what I did. And, you know, two months later, we're in um, Goa in southwestern India. And <laughs> have you done it? Have I've you done, done I've done, little... yeah, one and two, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. So it's like you're, you're going straight into it day one. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, again, not to divulge any of the, the details of the processes because the mystery is important, but uh it's not for the faint-hearted once you're there that's what i will say it was you know it did its job <laughs> like if the intention of, of that seven days is to to crack you open and open you up to your own sexuality like mission accomplished um so that's sort of how i got there man i i, I said yes to an opportunity that that really activated me and found myself in front of phenomenal teachers and phenomenal leaders in that space. Like shout out to Elon Young, who was the lead facilitator in that and was just so deeply in integrity and, and so fucking inspiring to the power of leading into to one's own. Mm. Like, man, is that that whole, that whole exploration started with you listening to your body, right? And going, whoa, my my brain is thinking logistics, fuck, I don't have money, oh, I'm going to have to take time, you know, I'm doing this other stuff. But your body was like, this is a fuck yes for me. Like what, you know, we need to do this, you know, and, and tapping into that and listening to that is something that I feel like as don't have, you know what I mean? Like they maybe like we have it in terms of like we can all do it, but a lot of guys aren't there yet because they're still trapped in, oh, what are my mate? What will my mates think about this? Oh, this is weird. Like what, you know, what if, yeah, you know, I can't do that. Like there's a lot of like over, yeah, overthinking or just like getting caught in the stories about like what what will this mean for me if I do this? What will, be, what will this mean for me and my masculinity if I go out and do this? If I, if I say this or if I do this or if I whatever, um, as opposed to being like, do I feel like I want to do this? Like as opposed to what do I think about this? What do I feel about this? Do my, what does my body actually want in this moment? And saying, okay, that's a no and really listening to that. So I'm, I'm then curious if we dial that back, then how did you get to that point of being able to listen to your body if it was a yes or a no? Yeah, yeah, right. Um, like trial and error, you know, and enough, enough ignoring my body and going, fuck, I wish I listened to my body, like starting to cotton on that body seems to be on point every time. <laughs> That's what it's talking about. But yeah, right. But also... I was challenged. I was challenged to follow through with my intuition. And that's because I had really great mentors and teachers. And, you know, I was challenged to leave the relationship, you know, the, the, you know, the one that I was in in my 20s. And, and I was challenged. And it's like, why? Because listen to your fucking body. What is it saying? So, again, the trial and error thing. There were times where I stayed. You know, I stayed in it. I let the head govern take over and things just became more and more dysfunctional and toxic and, and it's like, fuck, it's so scary to follow through with that. And then the thing that, you know, life's continually offering us those opportunities of self-initiation, like step into your power, you know, squirm through this and go all the way through with the choice and it's not like anyone can do it for you, but you can have someone, like I said, hold the mirror up. And, and that was my first mentor, Jan Kiki Carton. She's the most ruthless, loving human being that I know to this day still is, has just loved me harder than anyone ever has. And, and she'd just be so frank. She's like, Nick, I really don't care what you choose. Like you can choose suffering and I'll still love you. But, you know, you know what happens when you follow through with, that yes, when you actually mean no, basically. And then she'd just be blunt at times, which is like she'd just say back to me what I'm cryptically saying to her, which is it's a fucking no. You don't want that. 
let it go. Don't, don't, you know, cut the cord, whatever it is, like pursuing a job or a relationship or some sort of endeavor or conquest. And, and you know, the whole time there's that twist, you know, in the stomach or that that's like emptiness in the chest. It's like I'm not filled by that. I'm not filled by that. So, you know, and then I follow through and I'm just disappointed. I'm like, what a waste of resources and energy and miles. I wish I had to just gone with the feeling. You just got to walk the path, man. And it can really help if you've got the right people around you who aren't putting, who aren't projecting onto you, but they're just holding space and going, how do you really feel about that? And if they're very skilled and, and developed, they could say, well, I'm hearing you say this, but your body language is communicating something completely opposite to me right now. Your whole posture just slumped. You're breathing short and shallow and you can't look me in the eye when we talk about this. So what's that about? And it's like, oh, my God, I really don't want to do it. Like, <laughs> you're like, fuck, all right, I won't do it then. I won't. But, and then you're like, oh, I won't do it. Oh, my God, I, I named it. I said it, you know, and the process of creation for any of us is thought, word, deed. So if I really own the deeper truth and then I speak it, you know, all that's left is, is to walk it. And it's like, oh, my God, I'm going to go through with this. I'm going to ring them up. I'm going to break up with them. Oh, yeah. And feel, it's like that, that yes, that yes to you, that, you know, confirmation from your soul is just singing through. And so that's something that I learned. Um, pretty early in the peaks, luckily, I started to really get called out on that at the age of like 23. Um, and it's something I cultivate and very much utilise in my life now. And that, that got me that got me to India. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's amazing, man. And 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 thank you for for speaking into that because it it makes me reflect on like the people that we have in our lives and you know, I um I've spoken about this a couple of times on on several different podcasts, but like when I was in my late teens, the like I was a different person. I was the same I'm the same person, but I was a different I had a different outlook on life. I had a different mentality that I was approaching life with and it was very rigid. It was very closed-minded. It was very um, performative, right? I often talk about like I was just wearing a mask. I was I was pretending to be someone who I wasn't um, because I was afraid. I was afraid of my then friend group teasing me, bullying me, ostracizing me, calling me names, um, which, which had happened. Like I was, the reason why I was afraid of that is because it had happened and, you know, continued to happen. And a lot of like my early young male friendships were based on taking the piss out of one another. We're based on not supporting one another, but we're based more on like cutting each other down. And, um, you know, the, the whole tall poppy thing here in Australia, right? If you get too big for your boots, someone's going to come and knock you down a few pegs and your mates will take the piss out of you, which I think is like when done, you know, with awareness and, and done in like a really, you know, it can be really beneficial, but when it's done from a place of like non-awareness and just people just taking the piss out of one another, it's super damaging, man. It's super detrimental and it keeps you small, right? And it keeps you um, like in a rut essentially. And so like I, I think of some of my friends or some of the people that I knew from that time in my life uh, now today, 10 years later, are doing the same thing. They're still going to the same bars. They're still hanging out with the same people they're still do, like doing the same behavior right nothing has really if i you know just say this as compassionately as possible nothing's really changed in their in their lives they've maybe got a partner and a kid and a house but you know, and i went to my high school reunion uh, a couple of months ago um, i was about three months old and i you know and i went there with the intention to be like okay, I'm, I'm totally different from when I was in high school. So I'm just going to observe and see what happens. And um, it was very interesting to kind of see the type, you know, the, the type of mentality that was still there. Um, and, and it reminded me of high school, you know, and I was like, this is weird because it's 10 years later. And why do I still get high school vibes from, you know, the, the guys that I was talking to? Um, and so uh, I don't know where I'm going with this, but like the, there was a period of time there where I felt very uh, lonely, as a guy, because the group of guys that I had when I started like doing some of this work was um, they weren't supportive. When I stopped drinking for a year, some of my friends who I kind of still hung out with from that part of my life were not supportive at all. They they were they would um, 
you know, in a, and again, not in a very healthy way, they would push me and, and tease me to, to come out, you know, if I wasn't coming out drinking with them, if I said I didn't want to drink, said I'd come out, but I didn't want to drink, they'd say, oh, don't come out then. We don't want you to come out or like stop being such a pussy, you know, and, and things like this stuff that, you know, it done in maybe a more conscious way could have been like a test to be like, hey, are you sure? Are you sure you're going to do this year? Are you sure? And like giving me that kind of nudge to go, no, yeah, I am sure I'm staying, I'm staying true in this. and I'm holding my integrity, but that's not what they were doing. They were taking the piss, right? And I was like, and so again, to reiterate, there was like this period of loneliness that I felt where, you know, uh, where I had to really intentionally cultivate people around me who were supportive and who were looking for the best in me and who were challenging me in really loving ways. Um, and that's where, you know, after a piss, it's where I met people like Tully, for example, like someone like Tim Morrison, who I was quite close with a few years ago. Um, and yeah, just a new, new group of men in my life, I suppose, people that were like, wanting to uplift and support uh, as opposed to kind of like maybe belittling and taste, right? Which which is a lot of my earlier male friendships. And so it holds a lot of men back is the type of friendships, the type of men that they have in their life. And, um, and so I think like something that I really encourage men to do is to ta- start to talk, talk up when other men are saying shit, right? And and kind of down. It's like to, to kind of nick that in the bud and stop that to be more supportive. Um, I don't know if you've noticed that at all, but if, or if you've if that's reflective of your own experience, but that's just something that I've noticed in mine and um and and a couple of guys that I've worked with as well, they've kind of like gone on this journey and they've noticed that some friendships have been lost because of that, and they've had to find new people in their life. Right, and that I reckon that's one of the biggest pieces, and and particularly, um, you know, I see that so so often, particularly with people who are just stepping onto the. And it's such a lovely reminder and refresher because I was like, fuck, I remember. You know how it's like if you were trying to push a steam steam train from a dead stop, like just getting that momentum takes so much effort. You know, it's a, and then the inertia kicks in. It's like, oh, cool, I can push this train with one finger. But like those, that, 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 that breaking away that you described is terrifying it's like because i am stepping out of my identity i'm stepping out of like this tribe that no longer serves me and it's like so i'm stepping into the unknown um total courage pure total courage and and that's that was fucking huge for me because uh, actually for quite a few years i would bullshit myself so i'd be very carmelian like I, I actually started to establish it like a, a really great tribe and who would, like you say, not perpetrate on me, but challenge me. Be like, you sure? You sure? You sure? Yeah. They're like, yeah, good on you. Like backing you in that instead of like, oh, you know, then condemning me going, oh, you pussy. <laughs> so anyway, I started to establish that tribe, people who were really in my corner. But also, and this is one of the pieces I want to make abundantly clear, is other people who have stepped into their journey, Right, it's like we need to surround ourselves with people on a journey, right? as as we walk our own. Go hang out with like that crew, you know. I get stuck into the weed with them, and like like even just talk shit and yeah, stuff that like it didn't feel good to express myself in that way anymore. But I was like, oh, I love these people still, and so I'm gonna vibe vibe with them. I'm literally gonna vibrate there. And then I go back, you know, tomorrow I'm rolling with, those, you know, my new tribe and we vibrate up here. Oh, man, it feels good. And I get home from that and I feel like full instead of, you know, the old crew where I'm like, yeah, I'm feeling fried after that hang. And so, like, that's so part of it, it was accepting myself enough, developing confidence and feeling comfortable in my own skin enough to be in continuity, you know, be in integrity anywhere that I was. And what's been so beautiful in that is, you know, people fell away as they do. And as I've held that centered energy for, for, you know, many years now and, and really embraced leadership, those people are coming back in and saying, hey, I need your support. And it's like, oh, my God, yes. It's like, wow, like what a cool journey. Who would have thought 
stepping into the unknown would lead us like to this moment of reconnection. It, it, it's, I, I just have so much respect for anyone where they own the journey, but, but if you're that person who's like, oh my God, like stepping away and, and stepping into your authenticity, like keep going really is what I want to say to you. Because a decade, you walking your path, you have, you'll never know just how much gold you will bring into the world by honouring who you are and honouring your uniqueness, period. You don't need to tack on any other philanthropic endeavour. It's like just be you and do you. Stop apologising for that. So hold your integrity, speak your truth and, and yeah, then then now you're role modeling what the world needs. So it's so great, and I've done so much fucking therapy around that one, man. Because what happened is, um, in, in process psychology, there's this concept of dream figures. And so what I'd done was like I'd taken on these outer friends, and they had become inner figures in my mind. And what's so funny is like that's not actually true. It's just like, oh, there's, you know, my best friend from high school or whatever. The reason that I keep sabotaging myself coming forward on social media and I really tap in and that voice that's saying, that's lame, you're a sellout, uh, you know, you're a capitalist. It's like really tapping, oh, that's not even my voice. That's so-and-so. Like, ah, oh, shit, I downloaded that in a figure. And then in the acknowledgement, it just goes away. You know, sort of reclaim my sovereignty there, but. On the psychology level, it's 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 a thing to be mindful of as well. It's like, is that pressure even real? Is that pressure even coming at me? Or is that just an inner figure that serves me to pressure myself or serves me to sabotage myself? So that's just a little tap on. But yeah, I love that, man. And it, and it just hammers home again, like this idea of your the culmination of the five people that are closest to you. Like that just is so like it's just seems so intuitively true. I don't know if I don't know who said that. Um, I probably should look it up. I don't know if it's like being quantifiable, but but it definitely seems like it feels true to me. You know what I mean? Like the people that I surround myself with, just fully influence and impact how I show up in life. And I see that in other people. Like oh, best friends with so and so, and I know these people are in your life. That doesn't surprise me that you show up in the way that you show up. And um, and yeah, I, I really, um, yeah, I really resonate with that idea and, and that whole idea of dream figures, like essentially is, is the same idea, right? Is those people that you've spent a lot of, that you know what they're going to say, how they're going to say it, the tone they're going to say it with become a voice, in, right? Because you are processing the world around you based on, you know, what those figures think. If we, if we existed in a vacuum, we wouldn't do anything, right? If it was just like us sitting in a cave meditating for, you know, 24 hours a day, we, you know, nothing would, would happen. We exist in the world with other people around and, and that influences. Um, so it definitely rings true for me. And I even think of the same as like, you know, this is a, a bit of a tangent, but even like, um, like other, like media figures as well. Like I, yeah, when I was yeah, going through, yeah, um, yeah. Going through my, my teenage phase, yeah, I was, and I was exploring like who I who I was and how I showed up as a man in the world. Like Russell Brand was a major influence on on like my personality during during that part of my life. And I think it's probably still to this day. Um, although I'm not like the reason why it was such an influence back then is because I was just like devouring anything that he put out. Like I was listening to his stand up. He was like doing the Trues uh, podcast thing. Um, I was like you know, reading his books. I was looking at all his previous like TV shows. He was like the whole Big Brother in England, and I was just like just you know, he was part of my life, right? Because I was in, I was invested in, in like looking at all the stuff that he produced. And so like his aesthetic and the way that he spoke impacted the way that I performed my masculinity, right? The way that I showed up. Um, the reason why I resonated so much is because he's very non-traditional, non-stereotypical in terms of masculinity, which which spoke a lot to me because I was never the athlete or the the bodybuilder or the like fit dude. I was the guy with like the longer hair and skinny, um, quite eccentric. Uh, so that with me. And so I often think of like how media figures as well become that voice in our head or become this thing that informs the way that we show up in the world. And I'm wondering if there's been anyone in your life where you've been like, oh, okay, that person's had a pretty big impact on me in terms of the way that I, the way that I portray or show up as a man. Mm, well, really cool. 
thing to to yeah to bring up super true hey like because we're consuming it we're consuming it and you are what you eat so so like, what are you eating um fuck there's two things i really want to say to that so growing up like late teens and in, in into my 20s i was really into hardcore music like, like basically a he- heavier version of punk and it was tough and it was brutal and you know i like the you know like the heavier the heavier sounding bands and you know, lots of bands from boston in america i liked i liked their attitude and you know how they portrayed themselves and the sound they created and you know i you know, I was very much in that scene, very much in that scene and, you know, dressed like it, rolled with it, and so many beautiful people in that scene for sure. But, but some of the bands that I emulated and would listen to over and over and over and over again, I listen to it now and I'm like, oh, my God, this is a little, this is a little boy feeling like a victim. Like, this is so fucking lame, this, like, this victim-y shit. It's like. There's nothing empowering about this. Like I see why I resonated with it at the time because it was like poor me and fuck the world and like yeah, all that. And um, so yeah, for me that that just came up for me when you said that. I was because I look back on it now and and this it's not true for all all of that scene and all the bands, but I seem to um, yeah <laughs> resonate with shit. I just do not resonate with at all now back then. So that was, that's what I was eating up big time and, and identifying as and, and, and shaping myself as. And then what really started to evolve for me, uh, the, I, I acquired a role model, which was Paul Czech. So, you know, so much of my study over the years has been through the Czech Institute and I've studied, you know, hands-on with Paul and, and lots of his faculty and still work very much with a lot of his models and his teaching. So he, he he's hyper-masculine, that guy, but he's, he's very holistic. He's holistic in that. Like, you know, I've seen that man in person cry tears while singing a poem, you know, that he's written about his life multiple times. So he's not rigid he's he's definitely definitely like an an evolved individual but as far as my first my first thing to yeah exactly what you say to start to emulate was this man who was really staunch like like he really demonstrated conviction and i fucking loved that because I'd never seen that like he was not fluffy and I was like oh I feel this great crazy sense of relief I never knew I needed because he had conviction and when I say conviction I mean he had established his own belief systems he wasn't just regurgitating his conditioning and programming and he had a lot of evidence and results to back up his conviction right? He, he'd lived and that was, you know, a product of, of his life experience. So I was like, fuck yeah. Like, what's this about? Like this guy is a leader. He's an authority and he is confrontational in a really productive way. So for me, I got around his work. Like my life became the pursuit of studying what, what he had to offer. And so, yeah, that, that's where, that's when I really stepped out of victimhood and, and I had Paul Check to model that. And since then, what I eat is quite diverse, but he's definitely still somebody that I hold in high regard and, and definitely call in as a dream figure when I'm feeling, when I'm feeling, uh, like my insecurities taking over. Yeah, yeah, that's cool, man. And and it, I'm just mindful of time, but it makes me reflect now on um, 
me and you, I presume as well, being that person for my son, right? And, and you know, for foreseeable future, right? For the next 18 years or whatever, um, I'm going to be one of those five people in my son's life that's, you know, like he's going to essentially be, you know, modeling after, you know, like I'm, I'm going to be that influence and I'm going to have that impact on him just because of my proximity to him and what he's going to be seeing. So it's like, again, incentive to be like, all right, what, how do I, how do I show up? What am I contributing to his, his dream figures, right? What voices is he hearing in the back of his head when he goes to, you know, make a decision about something. And so I'm really mindful of, of like now taking control of that and being, um, aware of it and that's something that i'm yeah exploring more and more every single day because it seems like he goes through fucking massive changes overnight and um <laughs> learns new skills so right um yeah it's crazy uh, but look dude i, I want to say a huge thank you i i do have to uh sign off um but um yeah just thank you so much for being open and and sharing and um yeah and, and just um just talking, man. It's just been lovely to, to have a chat with you. I'm really appreciative of you. Mm, thank you, man. And and likewise, you know, like thanks for keeping it so real and, and making it so easy to, yeah, just to, just to kind of like say this, this is how it is, this is how it's been, this is how it's going. It's been super fun, man. And Yeah, I'm very grateful. Thanks, man. Very grateful. I'm glad we could do this, dude. And I'm looking forward to maybe uh, teeing up round two in the near future. That could be awesome. 100%. Yeah, brother. Sweet. All right, man. Well, enjoy the rest of your day and um, say hello to the partner and the little one for me. And uh, I'll talk to you again real soon. Peace. See you, man. Ciao. Hey there, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Men, Sex and Pleasure podcast. If you find value from this content, then I encourage you to consider becoming a patron on my Patreon account. You can find the link for that in the description below. You'll have access to a whole bunch of perks, including behind-the-scenes podcast footage, as well as pre-release YouTube videos and patron-only writing, as well as the opportunity to have your name either shown in a youtube video or read out in a thank you during the podcast so like i said if you enjoy this content and you'd like to support it and support me then head to the link in the show notes below and consider becoming a patron thank you